What keeps us from recognizing good things as good things? Uh, most of the time we recognize a good thing as a good thing fairly quickly, right? Uh, we see good food and we can sense it is good food by the look and the smell, but occasionally we don't recognize good food. I've had this experience quite a few times because growing up I didn't like to try new things or things I didn't think I would like. Uh, almost without fail I would eventually try the food and it either tasted very different than I imagined or I actually liked the food. And I think there are at least two reasons we don't always recognize good things as good things. We'll talk about the first one today and the other one next Sunday. Uh, we don't always recognize good things as good things partially because we don't recognize our need for those good things. Uh, we might not see how something is good for anyone, uh, like convenience store sushi. Is that really good for anyone? Uh, also, we might not see how this thing is good until we realize we need that thing. Uh, maybe like a shop vac for Christmas. Uh, until you make a huge mess that is almost simultaneously liquid and solid, uh, and then there are those other things like there just aren't enough paper towels in the world to clean it up, or maybe you just realize that you need a shop vac and you don't realize that until you have kids. Uh, in some ways, we can't see some things as good until we see that we need them. And in general, it's true for most adults that we only learn new things on a need-to-know basis, usually the things we perceive as relevant to our lives. And we don't recognize our need for those good things, which can also be a reason some people don't see the message of Jesus as good news. Uh, today, we are continuing this series called Good Christmas. And as we said last week, a lot of people's question as it relates to Christianity is, is it true? But today, for more and more people, the question is shifting to, is it good? Even if it is true, or at least it's partially true, is it good? Is Christianity good for society? Are Christians good for society? Is Christianity good for women and children? Is Christianity good for minorities? Is Christianity good for you? Is Christianity dangerous or harmful? And in most areas of our lives, when we hear news that is not good, we hope it is not true. But when we hear news that is good, we hope it is true. Now, the amazing thing is that when the birth of Jesus was first announced, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. It was announced as good news bringing great joy to all people. And that last part is actually kind of unusual. Because generally speaking, good news for one person is bad news for another person. Or, or bad news for one person is good news for another person. But at the time of the announcement of the birth of Jesus, this news was good news for all people. Even though the world was so divided. In fact, because this was such good news, it was good news for everyone. And so we started the series asking the question, so why is there so much resistance in our world today to the message of Jesus? If the birth of Jesus coming to the world is good news, then why do so many people seem to be resisting? Why doesn't everyone lean in? Uh, one of the problems is that there's a gap between our current version of Christianity and the original version of Christianity in several ways. The people who resisted Jesus in the first century are the people who claim to follow Jesus now. And vice versa, the people who leaned into the good news of Jesus in the first century are the people who are resisting it now. And we said that Jesus is good news for the unrighteous, but threatening news for the self-righteous. And it's threatening because self-righteous people don't think they need a savior because they don't think they are all that not good. They think they can fix or deal with it themselves. However, unrighteous people know they need a savior. They know they aren't good and know they can't fix themselves by themselves. 
And the religious leaders in Jesus' day were the self-righteous, who struggled to see Jesus' arrival as good news. However, the sinners and the people ostracized by society were leaning in, hoping Jesus was who he said he was. And like many things, it comes down to the posture of our hearts, including if you're an unrighteous sinner, that Jesus is good news. And this is actually what the story of Jesus was called, the gospel or the good story or the good news of Jesus. And this gospel was such good news that it caught on even when wedged between the Roman Empire, which eventually made the message of Jesus illegal, and it was wedged between the temple, uh, which felt threatened by the message of Jesus. And somehow that message of Jesus caught on because so many people leaned in. Because when you hear something that sounds good, when you experience something that seems good, you hope it is true. And people leaned into the original message of Jesus because they thought it was good news. Uh, Luke wrote an account of Jesus' life and, and recorded Jesus saying this in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, though, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. That this kingdom of God was do, God doing something new in the world for everyone in the world. And people were eager to sort of get into that type of kingdom with the values that Jesus talked about. And that was partially demonstrated by the large crowds that were constantly around Jesus. Which brings us to this tension. If the life and message of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, then perhaps you haven't heard the original message of Jesus. And that isn't to say that you'll sort of think that it's all true right away. But if you don't hear the message of Jesus and think that it is good news, or if you don't think that, wouldn't it be great if that were true? If the message of Jesus doesn't strike you as something that would be good, then perhaps you haven't heard the original message of Jesus. And then, as we said at the beginning, uh, many times when we don't recognize good things as good things, really because we don't recognize our need for those good things a lot of times, right? And one of the ways that Jesus sort of communicated our need was by communicating it was all of our need. He basically leveled the playing field. And Jesus' message to do that was really an appropriately disturbing reminder that we aren't so good. And this message disturbed the people who thought they were so good. But this message gave hope to the people who knew they weren't all that good. And those people who knew they weren't all that good saw the message of Jesus as good news because they recognized their need. And Jesus encountered both groups of people, really. Uh, and one of the encounters with the latter group of people was with Simon Peter, who would eventually become one of Jesus' followers, one of his most famous followers, actually. Um, we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 5. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner, select Events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Now, when we see the phrase, word of God, uh, many of us think like the Bible. And this is way before there was the Bible. Because after the resurrection, the people around Jesus realized that when they heard Jesus speak, they heard the words of God. And so Luke recognized while he was writing his account that when Jesus taught, the audience had the opportunity to literally hear the word of God. Continuing on verse 2. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing 
their nets. Uh, basically, this time period, they would, they would fish at night when the water was cool and the fish would come to the surface so they could catch them with their nets. And then during the day, they would come in to clean their nets before heading out again to fish the next evening. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Basically, Simon Peter at this point is a sort of a captive audience. He couldn't just sort of push the boat out into the water and then, and then sort of go and get some food. He's in the boat with Jesus, listening to Jesus teach. And then Jesus asked Simon to take him fishing during the day. Verse 5, Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, that basically at some point Simon Peter realized something was happening with this rabbi named Jesus. And eventually Simon Peter realizes what is happening. And then he has sort of a powerful moment of self-awareness. He recognizes the situation and is sort of overwhelmed with that self-awareness. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. That suddenly the fishing, the fishing business, the people that were watching on the shore, all of that became less important because Peter realized and recognized who Jesus was. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. That Simon Peter recognized he needed something and he started to see himself in a way that either he chose not to see himself or in a way that he didn't realize he actually was. But he is not okay with what he recognizes in himself, even though he has just caught enough fish that he probably won't have to fish for days and days. And yet, Simon Peter is recognizing he is a sinful man. Simon, well, we might say to Simon Peter, like, well, Simon, you haven't sinned. You haven't really done anything wrong. In fact, you did something right. You, you took Jesus fishing, even though it seemed like it'd be a waste of time to do during the day. And Simon Peter replied, well, no, I didn't say I sinned, but in the presence of Jesus, I became aware of the fact that I am such a sinful man. I just became more aware of how not okay I am. I recognize my problem and my need for a solution. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. That Jesus could have said a lot of things to Simon Peter at this point. Like, it's true, you really are a sinful man, Simon Peter. Actually, Peter, your greatest sin is still in your future. And even though you're going to so, sort of see miraculous things with me, Eventually, you will deny that you ever even met me, that I know all of that, Peter, and you are a sinful man. But it doesn't seem that Jesus says any of those things. Jesus replied to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Because in the kingdoms of this world, it's, it's really all about power and prominence and positions of authority. But the good news is that there is a new kingdom, the kingdom of God with a new kind of king. And as they land, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And together they introduced the world to the kingdom of God. And that journey began the moment that Peter recognized that he wasn't all that good. And in Jesus' presence, Simon realized he was a sinner and shouldn't be in Jesus' presence. And Jesus sent him a message. And I think Jesus sends you a message as well. I know you are a sinner, but don't be afraid. Follow me. And that is good news. Because in the moments when people were so aware of their failure and their brokenness, those were the moments when Jesus leaned in and said, come on, follow me. Uh, but how good is this good news? Well, it got even better because no other religion or person offers this. 
that according to Jesus, regardless of their starting point, uh, regardless of what they know, uh, regardless of what they believe about Jesus, anyone can take a step to follow Jesus. Uh, Luke continues recording Jesus' interactions with people uh, when he said and he saw that his guys would sort of come up to a Roman toll booth. And Levi, also known as Matthew, was taking the toll. And he's a tax collector. And in the first century, tax collectors didn't have a good reputation. And they didn't have many friends other than other tax collectors. And they weren't allowed to go into the temple either, or really anywhere near the temple, because of what they were doing and what they had been doing. The temple would basically say, like, they're on the outs with God. But Jesus takes a different approach. And Luke also records this interaction as well. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. That Jesus invited various people to follow him, and because of that, it was sort of a way to level the playing field as well, which is good news. Uh, speaking of the good news, this is good news for several reasons. Number one, no other religious leader would have invited a tax collector to follow him because of the reasons I already mentioned. Uh, so what Jesus does here is also good news because Levi was still sinning. It wasn't like Jesus sort of found out about Levi's sin after this, like later they sort of bumped into each other at Costco. It wasn't like Jesus said, follow me, and then eventually Jesus learned about Levi being a tax collector. No, Jesus actually saw Levi still collecting taxes, that everyone knew what Levi did, and yet Jesus invites Levi to follow him, and that is good news. Regardless of how low you go, or how far you wander, how deep of a hole you dig, Jesus invites you to start following him from there. And interestingly enough, the first place Levi followed Jesus to was Levi's own house with a bunch of other people like Levi. Continuing on, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and, other, and, the, and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And here's where we sort of bump up against this thing again, that Jesus didn't seem like good news to some people. And in this instance, those people were the religious leaders. They couldn't figure out what Jesus was doing because he just seemed to be sort of disrupting everything. You, you say you're sent from God, but this isn't how we think God operates, they might say. And Jesus' reply sort of further establishes why this is good news and in some way defines who might see this as good news and who might not. Jesus says this in verse 32, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. That he's saying that he didn't come for the people who can't or won't recognize that they fall short. He didn't come for people who think they are perfect. He didn't come for people who get it right every time. And that's good news. Verse 32, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That Jesus came for the people who are honest with themselves, for the people who recognize that there is a standard that they don't measure up to, for the people who recognize they aren't all that good, for the people who recognize they could be better. And that is good news. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That Jesus invites us to come and see the world in a different way, to repent, to change our thinking about ourselves, to change our thinking about God, to change our thinking about other people, to change our thinking about everything, to allow God to change us from the inside out. And that is good news. Because even though I don't know much about some of you, I'm pretty sure you have tried to change yourself. And it's virtually impossible, right? And yet Jesus invites us to allow God to change us. 
And this is why people leaned in, because it was good news and they hoped it was true. That Jesus becomes good news when we recognize we're not that good. Uh, you probably have heard of Billy Graham. Uh, he was one of the most uh, influential preachers, not just in our nation, but in some ways around the world in the 20th century. Uh, he died back in 2018, and during his funeral, his middle daughter shared this short story that is a powerful example of why it can be good news when we recognize we're not that good, mostly because of how God responds to us. Uh, Ruth Graham said this, after 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I, I floundered. I did a lot of wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away to get a fresh start somewhere else. And so I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower, and we began to date fast and furious. Uh, but my children didn't like him. But I thought, well, you know, uh, they were almost grown. They, they didn't know. They couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. And my mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. And they said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. But they'd never been single. They'd never been divorced. What did they know? And so, being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my mother and my father. It was a two-hour, two-day drive, though. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling around with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. I rounded the last bin in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there, waiting for me. And as I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. That when we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that, is, that invitation is open for you. So as Ruth Graham said there, that invitation is open for you. That God would welcome you when you come to him with your sin, your brokenness, your failure, your pain, and your hurt. And so I want to help you do that by leading you in a simple prayer. And this simple prayer is just a way to express to God all of that. That this simple prayer sort of expresses a decision to come back to following him and to come back to God. And the prayer is this, Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I'm more than a mistaker. I am a sinner who needs a savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Now, you might have lived a season or more of your life like Peter did when he said, God, please go away from me. But Jesus says to you the same thing he told Peter. Don't be afraid and follow me. So I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, I have fallen short. I'm more than a mistaker. I am a sinner who needs a savior. I place my faith in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Let me continue praying for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the good news of his life to be the payment for our sin. And Jesus also sort of helped us all to realize that we are sinners in need of a savior. So God, thank you so much for that. Thank you for sending Jesus to help us to recognize that. 
God, would you all help us to see the good news of Jesus? And as hard as it is to wrestle with the fact that we are sinners, that we're not just mistakers, that we are sinners, would you help us to also see, though, that you came to save us? Would you help the person that's struggling with that, admitting that, acknowledging, recognizing that they're a sinner? Would you help the person who acknowledges that and they know how bad they are and, and they just sort of continue to make mistakes? God, would you help those of us who have been following you for a while? Would you help all of us to know our dependence and realize our dependence on you and to recognize that we are a sinner and we can't do this on our own? But with your help, you can help lead us forward to follow you. God, we need your help. We ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.